Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Good morning. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for the good gift you've given us in yourself, that you are the object of our faith, you are the reward of our faith. You provide for us in the darkness and in the darkest times in our lives. And Lord, let us look into your word to see how you do this. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to follow along, you'll need two things. There's a Bible in front of you. You can grab that and turn the page 388. And then there's also a handout. If you didn't get it, you can turn to the next person next to you. Maybe they have one and you can follow along with them. Um, so you can get those out. Page 388. Um, we are looking at 2 Chronicles 36, 14 through 23. We all go through dark places in life. Sometimes those dark places are a result of our own doing. Sometimes those dark places are a result of someone who did something to us. And sometimes those dark places are just, you know, because they happen. We live in a broken world that has fallen. And so we are enduring the curses that came after uh, the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And so we will see in the Old Testament and in the New that the people of God have always had to go through hard times, especially when they were disobedient, especially when they weren't following God. God would use certain situations to help redeem them, to sanctify them, to teach them. And he does the same thing with us today as his people. He continues to use these hard times to teach us. And so there's good times in the Bible when uh, the people of God are doing especially well because they're following God and God is using them for his, his work in the world, uh, proclaiming his uh, gospel, proclaiming his truth to the nations. And there's also times when they are acting just like the nations, behaving just like them and being nothing, uh, just being darkness, not showing the light of God at all to the nations. And so in those times, uh, God blesses, but God also corrects and uses those situations to teach them. And so let's look at verses 14 through 15. Verses 14 through 15. All the officers of, of the priests and the peoples likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. So our first uh, point here is, under King Zedekiah, the people of Israel became exceedingly unfaithful. Under King Zedekiah, the people became exceedingly unfaithful. What are some of the symptoms of this unfaithfulness? Following all the abominations of the nations. It's easy as me as, for me as a preacher to look at the nation right around us, the United States, and say, oh, well, look at how far we are from God. Look at how far we are as a nation. Look at the political problems. Look at all this and that, right? It's easy for me to look outside the church, right, to do that. But I think it's important to ask ourselves as the people of God, as the church, as God's, as God's body on earth, are we following the abominations of the nations? Are we acting just like the world around us? Or are we different? Are we holy? Are we separate? The second thing that we see is they polluted the house of the Lord. Uh, the, per, they polluted the house that the Lord makes holy. 
So they polluted the house in Jerusalem. They polluted the temple with uh, their unholiness, with uh, acting uh, just like the nations around them. Um, You see with Jesus turning over tables and stuff like that in the New Testament, right? The problems of commerce and business and not using the house as a house of prayer, but for all kinds of other things. God gave them a temple where he would meet them, but they turned it into all kinds of things. In our own life, um, where, where's the temple now? Paul says that we are the temple of God. He says that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are where God meets us, right? In our hearts. He meets us through faith. And so are we polluting this temple with the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we hear, the things that we watch? Are we polluting the temple of God? They were also mocking God's messengers, despising God's word, and scoffing at his prophets. And I think most of us today, we wouldn't say that we do these things, right? We don't mock the Bible. We don't make fun of the Bible. We don't mock the messengers and the prophets, right? We are usually pretty careful not to do those things. (laughs) But do not—I think we need to think about, do we not despise the Bible when we spend most of our time doing other things? Instead of spending time in God's Word and learning what God has for us, he gave us these 66 books of the Bible that we should be very grateful for. The first few hundred years of the church, they didn't even have a Bible like this. They had a collection of letters. They had a, a collection of Gospels. The, the first few hundred years of the church, they were still putting the Bible together as God's authoritative Word. And so today, we have the privilege of carrying this around in our pockets, in our phones. Wherever we go, we have the Bible with us. And the people of God had to go to the temple or the synagogue to hear God's word. But we have it right at our disposal, 24 hours a day, anytime we want. And are we spending time in it? Because I think a lot of us, we spend our time in other things. And, and I think about the fact that a lot of the Jewish people, they had 150 psalms mem- memorized. They knew them word for word. They could tell you what Psalm 122 was, Right? They could tell you exactly the words in that psalm. And I think if we asked our musicians here, I think they would probably be able to tell you that they probably have 150 songs memorized. And if I asked a teenager on the street corner if they had 150 songs memorized, they might say no. But in reality, they probably do. Because where do you get your songs? Where do you get your movies? TV, the radio, Pandora, Spotify, right? Like We have all of these things now filling our brains when we could be spending time in this. We are so distracted, and all Satan has to do is distract us from God's Word. And so we despise God's Word, even though we may not mock it outwardly. Maybe maybe we don't make fun of it uh, or scoff at it and say it's not true. We don't spend time in it like we actually believe it is God's Word. The next point is verses 16 through 21. i read that for you. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young men and virgins and old men or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, and all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all of its places with fire, and destroyed all of its precious vessels. 
He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So my next point is, the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. God continually in his compassion and his grace and his mercy sent messengers. He sent prophets. He told the people that they need to repent, that they need to turn back to him, that they need to follow him and stop acting like the nations around them. But over and over and over again, they despised the prophets. They ignored the prophets. They didn't listen to the prophets. Instead, God brought wrath on them because there was no remedy. They weren't willing to listen. They weren't willing to repent. So eventually God brought his wrath and his judgment. The survivors were enslaved and the promised land was left desolate to recuperate for receiving a purified people back. God used the the exile to teach them, to teach them what they had done wrong, that they had not followed God. Um, A lot of times we give the Pharisees a hard time, but the Pharisees are actually a reaction to the, the exile. The reason that they went into exile was because they weren't following God. So the Pharisees were trying to fix that problem, but they ended up falling into the trap of legalism and creating their own laws. But they were a reaction to this. They were trying to follow God because they knew what had happened to them in the past when they lost the temple, when they lost everything because they weren't following God. The third point, the Lord is very patient, but there will come a day when the Lord will bring judgment on his creation. Peter actually talks about that there will be scoffers in the last days. I think we're in the last days now, and there are scoffers. There are people who are not listening and are not believing what this has to say. God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He loves everyone, but he will bring wrath, and he will bring judgment in the last days. So we need to be a people that are ready and calling the world to repentance so that they too are ready for his coming. Verses 22 through 23. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all the people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So God provides grace in the most unexpected way. He uses Cyrus, a Persian king, you know, a a pagan. He's not a God follower. But he takes this ungodly man, this Persian king, and uses him to bring his people back to the promised land to bring them back so they could rebuild the temple and have their their place of worship again, to have this uh, possibility to be in communion with God again. And and so God uses Cyrus. And I think today um, we get really caught up in politics, but are we trusting the sovereignty of God? That God can still use the hand of politicians. God can still use the hand of presidents. God can still use the hand of kings and emperors, even when they're ungodly. Even when they're not following God, can God still use those people? I think Cyrus is a good example of yes, he can, and he does. God is sovereign. Isaiah 45.1 says that God disposes kings and raises them up. He, he uses 
kings for his, for his purposes. Even when they're ungodly, even when they're not following him, he can use them because he is sovereign, because he is in control. Daniel 2.21 says that he literally uses the hands of this king. God used the political forces of the early 6th century BC to bless Israel after they endured God's judgment for 70 years. So they were in, in exile from 586 BC until the rebuilding of the temple in 15, uh, 516 BC. And for the people of God in the Old Testament, the temple was the most important thing that they had. It was where they met God. It was where God forgave them of their sins. It was where they were atoned for. It was where they met together and worshiped God. Now they're able to come back and rebuild this temple. That is a huge, huge thing for them. In our life today, God sometimes uses difficult situations to get our attention. Sometimes in our own uh, painful situations, in our own uh, frustrations, and in, in what God is doing in our own life, either because we did something wrong or because something's been done wrong to us, God purifies us through those situations. God calls us to himself. God helps us return to the sanctuary of our hearts to hear him and to listen for him. The world of today is also under God's wrath. So let's jump forward into the New Testament, into Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. That's on page 976, page 976. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I think this is so important that we see that we all were under the same condemnation. We all were under God's judgment. We were all under God's wrath. We were all disobedient. But God, but God, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated um, with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, uh, the world today is under God's wrath, but the bottom line is God has saved us, seated us, and created us for good works. So I'm going to focus on those three things. He saved us. And why did he save us? Not because of anything we could do. What did we bring to the relationship with God? We brought sin. We brought disobedience. The Bible tells us that when we were still enemies of God, he had grace on us. Even when we were still disobedient to God, he had grace on us. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't bring anything, but God brought everything. He brought all of the grace to us so that we could be saved. This grace is a gift. It is a gift of God, not something that we could earn. What happens when you start earning things in life? You can start boasting, right? 
Once you start earning grace, once you start becoming more and more godly, it's easy to look at the world around you and say, look at those sinners, right? It's easy for us to to look around the world and say, look how much better I am than they are. But Paul reminds us here that it is by grace. No one should boast, but when we do a good thing, it's actually God working through us. When we do a good thing, all glory goes to God. Everything good that we do is not of us. It is a work of God in us. God provides us with the bread of life. This is John 6, 35. So let's go back to the Gospels for a second. John 6, 35. So our reading this morning was from John 6, 1 through 15. But I'm going to be looking a little ahead because he starts to explain what just happened. He feeds these, these 5,000 people, and now he's going to explain What does that mean? What does it mean that he just fed those 5,000 people? God provides us with the bread of life. John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am. I'm just going to stop there. What does that remind us of in the Old Testament? I am who I am. Moses asked, when I go to to your people, when I go to the Israelites and say who sent me, who, who am I supposed to say sent me? He says, I am who I am. Jesus right here is showing them he is God. He is one with the Father in the Trinity. And he says, I am the bread of life. And he says, in another place, he says, you know, your fathers ate the manna in the desert and they died. But when you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you will have eternal life. And you cannot have eternal life unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so he's pointing to himself as the source of eternal life. He's pointing to himself as the bread of life. When we read our our prayer to start off the service for the week, he is the perfect bread. He is the only bread that can sustain us. And one of the wonderful things that Jesus says later, and some people will say, well, he's just talking spiritually. Yes, he is talking spiritually. He says that the flesh flesh availeth nothing. It, It doesn't do anything in us. Like we can't do anything by the flesh. It is the Spirit that gives life. In the the epiclesis, when we make the sign of the cross and we ask the Holy Spirit to make this bread and wine to become to us the body and blood of Christ, Christ feeds us through that. He strengthens us. He gives us himself in the simple things of bread and wine. And in baptism, we we pray over the waters and we ask for it to become for us the the washing of sin, the death in Christ, the burial in Christ, the resurrection in Christ. And so we pray over simple bread and wine. We pray over water that God would meet us there and change us. And so God meets us through the simple things of bread and wine to provide for us, even in our our darkest places, even when we're wandering like the Israelites, even when we're far away from God, even when we have disobeyed and we're in this place of exile and we feel like we're under God's condemnation. He meets us every day day through his spirit, and especially when we come together and worship like this and receive his sacraments, he meets us through the simple things of bread and wine. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you are the bread of life who came down to give us, to give us life, to give us eternal life. And I pray that we would find you in the exile of our life, in the, in the desert, in the wilderness of our life, and our wanderings, that you would bring uh, truth to us, and that we would be receptive, and that we would be looking for you, and that we would listen for you each day. 
and repent of our sins and turn to you and believe in you and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.